Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the book of Hebrews, going through the book of Hebrews verse by verse, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcasts. Now, in the previous broadcast, I have been mentioning the importance of understanding that the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews. And I realize that might sound simple, it might sound a little bit obvious, but sometimes people will look at the scriptures, they will look into the scriptures, and they will make the assumption that everything contained in the scriptures was first and foremost written to them personally and individually. And while I do certainly believe that the scriptures are applicable to everyone, I do believe that that can be a mistake. That what we should do first is first understand who they were written to, why they were written to these individuals, how they would have perceived what was written to them, that this has great value in understanding the proper context of everything that is written. Contained within the scriptures is certainly a great deal of wisdom and understanding that can be available to anyone. However, I do believe that the greatest value of reading through the scriptures to me personally and to many people who I know, the greatest value has to do with the reality that quite often Our God will speak to us while we are reading through the scriptures, while we are studying the scriptures, to give us insights within the scriptures, to give us insights concerning who he is, and to give us other insights concerning who we are, how he relates to us, and how we relate to the world that we are a part of. And so I do believe that there's great value in everyone continuing to study the scriptures. I certainly do believe that. However, I don't want to minimize, and this is what happens, is that people will tend to minimize the importance of understanding the audience to whom the scriptures were originally written to. Now, when it came to the Hebrews, the Hebrews had some very, very serious struggles, some very important struggles. These struggles had to do with their attachment to the law of Moses and their attachment to the temple there in Jerusalem. And the writer was writing to a group of people who at this time in history were very attached to the temple. They were very attached to the priesthood operating within the temple and the high priest who oversaw everything that was taking place there. And considering this attachment, considering this association that they made with the temple, it would definitely be a barrier to their understanding of what the Messiah actually came to accomplish what he had accomplished for them, and it would be a barrier to prevent them from truly walking in the new covenant that had been established after the Lord's death and resurrection. It would be a significant barrier, because the new covenant is not like the old. The new covenant is a different covenant from the old covenant. The Lord Jesus is our high priest, not the priest there in the temple. There are things that the Lord Jesus has accomplished for us that are going to be ignored and negated and in many ways rejected by the beliefs and by the practices that are taking place within the temple compound. And so if a person is going to grow and mature in their faith, in their faith in the Lord Jesus as their Messiah, if they are going to actually grow and mature, 
they are definitely going to have to let go of the vast majority of teaching that's being promoted within and through the temple. And that doesn't mean that they have to reject it completely. What I mean is, is that they have to identify the Old Covenant for what it is. They have to recognize that the law was given in order to lead a person to the point of desperation so that they would be able to receive the grace and mercy of God. But after they have accomplished that, after the law has had that accomplishment in their lives, after that has taken place, then they put the law aside and grow in the grace of God. That's an important transition that everyone needs to make, and the Hebrews were certainly no exception. And so I'm certainly not saying that the law is evil, or there's something wrong with the law, or there's something wrong with the temple, or that there's something wrong with the Levitical priesthood or the high priest. There's nothing wrong with it at all. But you have to understand that it has to be used for the purpose that our God gave it for. And if it's not, then it is being used in a way that our God did not intend, and that, to me, is evil. And so the writer to the Hebrews is addressing the Hebrews in this context, speaking to the Hebrews, trying to get them to understand or help them to understand that there is a new covenant. It is not like the old covenant. The old covenant had its purpose. Its purpose has been accomplished. And now there is a new covenant that has gone into effect, and we need to walk in the newness of the life that has been given to us. In Hebrews chapter 9, the writer speaks of the will of God as a description of an inheritance that has now been given to us as a result of his death. This is in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 through 17. And as a review, I'll read these. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, it says, For this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions, that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never enforced when the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. That's verse 18. And that's the transition that I want to move into now, is to understand that the old covenant was very important. It had its place. It had its purpose. However, through the new covenant, a new relationship has been established between us and our God. And this is on the basis of an inheritance that has been given to us as a result of his death that the will of God is a description of an inheritance that you have now received, and so your new life in the Messiah is based on walking in the reality of what you have been given because of what your God has done for you. And the Old Covenant was totally different. In the Old Covenant, it was based on trying to walk in a way of life with hope that you would receive something from your God in return for your repentance and obedience. But according to the New Covenant, what you have received is on the basis of his obedience and his repentance in that context. Certainly, he did not have sin that he needed to repent from. But the point is is that this is the model. This is the foreshadowing that has now been revealed in the Lord Jesus. So what we have now is we have a new way of life that is on the basis of walking in our daily lives with the fullness of what we have received as an inheritance because of his death. That's the foundation for the new covenant. But instead, what the Hebrews were continuing to do was they were continuing to go back to the temple. They were continuing to live a life of dependency on the Levitical priesthood and the high priest. They were not separating themselves from the old covenant. 
Even though they had been separated from the Old Covenant through entering into the New, they were not willing to let it go. And what's important to understand here is that if you don't let go of the Old Covenant or anything that is taken from the Old Covenant, if you don't let it go, you are not going to be able to walk in the new life that has now been given to you. This is a critical thing to understand. And I believe that this is the intent of the writer to the Hebrews, that they were living a life of attachment to the Levitical priesthood, to the temple, and to the high priest, and they needed to separate from that. Now, the transition that the writer of this letter to the Hebrews makes in chapter 9, going into chapter 10, the transition that he makes has to do with the subject of sin. It is at this time that he really gets in to the subject of sin, or at least introduces the subject of sin. And in Hebrews chapter 10, he really aggressively deals with the subject. Because that's where this leads. If you're going to have a continual association with the Old Covenant or those who are ministers of it, then you are going to continually be preoccupied with your sin. You're going to continue to live a life of focus, of dependency on your sin or on trying to get the sin out of your life, which you, of course, will never accomplish. But this is what keeps the priesthood alive. Sin is what keeps the Levitical priesthood alive. Sin is what keeps the high priest in business, keeps him going. This is necessary in order to continue the function and the purpose of the temple, of the Levitical priesthood. Sin is absolutely necessary, and so the focus that people will continually have will be on their sin. And to do that, there will be a continual reminder that their God holds their sins against them. There is a continual reminder within everything that the priesthood is associated with, within everything that the priesthood does, all of the sacrifices, all of the offerings, all of the festivals, they all have their orientation in such a way that they direct a person continually to recognize the presence, the existence of sin in their life and to describe and to encourage a person's dependency on the priesthood and the temple. And so the writer gets into the subject of sin finally. He gets into this subject and gets aggressive about this subject in chapter 10. But let's start out in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. This is Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 18, where he says, Therefore even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same manner he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Again, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it is written, And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. This is a very important premise to understand. The issue of forgiveness cannot be resolved without the shedding of blood. And then in verse 23, Therefore it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. 
For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now this is the issue, and this is what I've been describing in the earlier broadcasts, was that the people, the Hebrews, were not recognizing that the temple, the priesthood, the high priest, the law, all of this describes a copy of something that is real. And their dependency, their associations, are based on something that is not real, that is a counterfeit, that is a copy, that is not the real thing. And that we who believe in the Lord Jesus as our Messiah, we who believe in the true and living God and the one who he has sent, we who believe in what he has already accomplished on our behalf, we are the ones who are associated with the true temple, the true tabernacle, the true God, in effect, that those who are continually serving or being a part of that which is a copy are not a part of the real thing. And the Hebrews needed to remove themselves from everything associated with the old covenant because the new covenant is the real one. The tabernacle that is in heaven is the real one. The copies of the artifacts that we have here on earth, there are real things. There is a real ark. There is a real table of showbread. There is a real altar. These are real things that are in the kingdom of heaven. And we must direct our attention to that. But to do so, it is necessary to let go of those things that we have here on earth that are counterfeits of that which is real. But just as those just as the counterfeits, were sanctified with blood. So also the true tabernacle has been sanctified with blood. But as Hebrews chapter 9 verse 25 says, nor was it that he would offer himself often. The Lord Jesus does not offer himself often. He did it once and for all. As the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. In this case, the Lord Jesus walked in to the true holy place with blood that was his own. He walked into the true one. And so remove yourself from that which is here on earth and recognize that there is one that is in heaven. And that is the one that you are, of course, associated with. Now, certainly we have no access to the one in heaven, not in a physical sense. We have no access to that one. There is no way to go and present offerings or sacrifices. It's important to understand that we have no access and that the Lord our God does not want us to have access because he does not want us to present offerings or sacrifices or go to him in the context of sin because that issue is over. The sin issue is over. The subject of sin came to an end. And it is not something that can be resurrected. Do not try to keep that which is dead alive. However, the Hebrews at this time were definitely keeping it alive because of their association with their affiliation, their participation in the things in the temple, in the temple compound there in Jerusalem. Continuing in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, it says, Otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In other words, our God did not do this Often He did not do this repeatedly since the foundation of the world. He did this at a certain appointed time 
and he did it once. And through what he has done, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. When he says he has put away sin, that means he has put away sin. That's what it says, and so I would assume that's what it means, right? I'm pretty good at stating the obvious. If he has put away sin, sin has been put away because of the sacrifice of himself. He did that. He didn't ask for your permission to do that. He didn't ask for your approval. He didn't ask for you to ask him to do that even. He just did that. That's what he did for himself and for you. And when he did that, he did it completely and finally. And it is no longer something that is alive. It is dead. It is put away. It is over. All of it is over. The Hebrews were not getting that. They were not understanding that. They were not embracing that truth because they were continually going back to the temple to obtain forgiveness or atonement or whatever they thought that they were getting to get right with God, to be close to God, to be associated with God and the things that he was doing, to have a connection with their God, to have fellowship with their God. That's what they believed. But it was not true. The sin issue was over, and so there is nothing there in the temple structure. There is nothing there in the law left for a person to live in, because the new covenant has gone into effect, and through that, everything has changed. Continuing in verse 27, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. So just as it is real that everyone is going to die once and after that will be a judgment, that is the truth of God. Everyone will die once and everyone will then be presented before their God for judgment. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to be evaluated on the basis of our good works or bad works or we're going to be evaluated on the basis of our sin. I don't believe that that's going to be the case. I mean, if you'd like to be evaluated on that basis, I'm sure the answer is going to be very simple. You have sinned. You can do nothing about it. There's nothing you can do to compensate God for the sin that you have committed, and so go to hell. I mean, that can be a simple conclusion that our God can present. There's no need to debate that particular issue. I believe, however, that the issue is going to be, are you dead or are you alive? And what I mean by that is, are you spiritually dead or are you spiritually alive? Certainly, you're going to be physically dead. The real question is going to be whether or not you were resurrected through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that was offered to you as a free gift so that you could be resurrected, made alive with the eternal life of God indwelling within you, making you alive, having the presence of his life. That's what I'm referring to. And if you received that gift freely, then you are alive. And if you rejected the free gift that was offered through what the Lord Jesus has accomplished for us, well, then you're spiritually dead. And, of course, there's only one thing we do with dead things, and that's to burn them. But then again, in verse 28, it says, So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time for salvation. Now, I do believe that a person is saved when they receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so I believe the context of this word has to do with the fact that he's going to save us from this world in the sense that we are going to be removed from this world. 
I do believe that we are saved once we receive the free gift of eternal life, but the second time appearance for salvation without reference to sin, without reference to anything with regards to what we have done or what we have not done, I believe this has to do with the fact that there will be a final judgment that is executed and that will be the end of this age, the end of the world as we presently know it, and there will be the new millennium that will begin after that. But referring to verse 28, he says that he has been offered once to bear the sins of many. Of course, he bore the sins of everyone. He died for the sins of the entire world. When he did this, he put away sin, all sin of the entire world. He did this once. He's not going to do it again. The issue is completely over. And when he appears the second time for salvation, as it is written in verse 28, he will do so. He will appear without any reference to sin. Now, it does say to those who eagerly await him, you could suggest that to those who are not eagerly awaiting him, he will appear with some references to sin. But again, there's no need for that because there's plenty of it to go around. And the real issue is whether or not they are dead or alive, whether they are saved or lost. I mean, if you want to evaluate anybody on the basis of sin, if you want to come to discuss the subject of sin or deal with things with reference to sin, If he's going to do anything with reference to sin, then the judgment is easy. Everyone has sinned. Everyone should be condemned. And no one will escape. But that's not what he did. He died for the sins of the world so that when he returns, he will return without any reference to sin whatsoever. Again, for those who are not eagerly awaiting him, those would definitely be people who are lost. And those will certainly have a revelation concerning their sin. And if they have any question concerning whether or not they're going to enter into heaven, I'm sure he can bring the subject up with them and do so very quickly and simply. But that's not the issue. The issue here is that it says very clearly that when he comes, he's going to do so without any reference to sin. So if he's coming back, and when he comes back, he's not coming back with any reference to sin, with any concern related to sin, with with any issues concerning sin, if that's not going to be his concern, why is it? Why is it that in Christianity today, everyone seems to be totally consumed with their sin? And, of course, with everybody else's, but mainly with their own. Why is it that we are totally consumed with sin to the extent where it certainly gives the appearance that everybody is worried about Jesus' return because they think he's going to come and deal with their sin. He's going to come with reference to sin, with a number of references to your sins and to other people's sins. That's what people believe. And the reason why people believe that is because that's what's taught. And the reason why that's taught is because people support it. That's why it's taught, because people financially support that. And there's a lot of reasons for that, why people like others to tell them about the bondage of sin, and people like to be put into bondage. There there are a number of reasons for that. I'm not going to get into that in this program. I don't have time for it. What I really like to express is the fact that the Hebrews were definitely struggling with this because that was their life, that was their lifestyle. That was everything that they had there in the temple. The law of Moses, the priesthood, the high priest, everybody and everything was directed towards referencing sins. So likewise today, 
we deal with the same thing within other temples, within other churches, within other synagogues, within other places that have been constructed, with other priesthoods that have been established, whether they are officially recognized and labeled as priesthoods, or whether we call people ministers or pastors, whatever we call people, who fill this role, who fill this purpose to continually remind you that you have sins, who continually refer to your sins as if Jesus is coming back to deal with you and your sins. And he's not. When he comes back, he's going to come back And everybody's going to understand that he put away sins a long time ago. And he's not coming back to reference sins. But the problem is, is that just as the Hebrews did not recognize that back then, so also there are a lot of people today who don't recognize it today. And just as the Hebrews needed to separate themselves from the temple, the priesthood, and everything associated with it, you also must separate yourself from the temple's from the priesthoods, from all the references to sin that everybody's so preoccupied with. You must separate yourself from that. It's important to do that, because if you don't, you cannot walk in the newness of life that has been established for you on the basis of the new covenant that has gone into effect. You might as well become a Jew. You might as well live like a Hebrew. At least you're closer to the Mosaic law. At least that's a better description concerning sin and evil and things like that. Something that the Lord our God gave as a contribution to man's efforts to try to be like God through our efforts of living in accordance with what is good and evil. Look, the point is very simple, and that is that the Hebrews were not breaking away from this. And so also today, we have a number of people in Christianity who are not breaking away from this either. And so I'd like to encourage you to sincerely consider what the writer has said here, especially in verse 26 and in verse 28. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, where he says, He has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He did that. It's over. And in verse 28, he is going to appear a second time for salvation without any reference to sin. If you understand that the sin issue between you and your God is over, then you can continue to move on. But if you do not understand that, then you definitely need to study Hebrews chapter 10, which is the next chapter that I'm going to get into in the next broadcast. But until then, I sincerely pray that you'll continue to discover what you have received in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net you